Hey, what's up, New Hope Church? Hope you're doing great on this Sunday morning. Hope you've had some good coffee. I know I'm getting mine. If you haven't, stop by somewhere and get you some good coffee. Or if you are in Garner, get you some of that good sweet tea, which is where I am heading in just a moment. Hey, I just wanted to stop by real quickly to give you a little update. Sometimes on Sundays in this culture that we live in now, Sometimes we're torn between church and athletic events or travel sports or any of those kinds of things. And I know many of you feel that tension. Yesterday, I was in Carthage, North Carolina, uh, watching Pastor Keith Barreto, who is our Wake Forest campus pastor, head coaching a little league baseball team for the state championship. And his son, Jax, is an awesome baseball player. And check this out. They won Friday. They won Saturday, so they are undefeated, and the state championship game is today. And for the life of me, church, I could not ask him to be at church where he was supposed to teach today from the Durham campus. I could not ask him to miss Jax's state championship game. And so we have given Keith the Sunday off, and instead we had Pastor Derek Mull, who was already in the pocket teaching in Garner. I've asked him to come to Durham while I go to Garner, and uh, you are in for a treat. And don't worry, Wake Forest, we will have Pastor Keith teach that very same message that he has already prepared in the future. But it's going to be a great day. Grab your Bibles, grab your teaching notes. Pastor Derek has been with the movement now eight years. He is an incredible leader, and he has led a wonderful campus in the water tower town of Garner. I can't wait to be with you guys in just a moment. But for the rest of us, do what you do, give it up, and give honor and appreciation for Pastor Derek Mole as he brings the word today. Give it up, New Hope! What's up, New Hope? How we doing? Welcome, Wake Forest. Welcome, Garner Online Community, Kenya, and of course, the Durham campus. How y'all doing today? Good, 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 good. Hey, uh, I know Pastor already set it up. Uh, he talked about Pastor Keith being at a baseball tournament. So in baseball terms, I am the player to be named later. <laughs> That's me today. And uh, thankfully for me, New Hope is getting used to bald preachers around here. So uh, I'm glad to be in the house today. And here's what I want to do. Uh, I'm excited that pastor is actually over in the Garner campus um, today because, man, he's drinking coffee all the time. He needs some Bojangles sweet tea in his life. So <clears throat> I'm glad he's getting some of that. I keep trying to bring it over here to Durham uh, every time that I come. I don't know what we're waiting on around here. Um, Y'all need some of that brown sugar water up in your life. Um, but we'll, we'll keep working on that. We'll try to get there. But here's what I want to do today. I want to take us on a journey. I got a chance this past March to go on the trip of a lifetime with about 40 New Hopers, and uh, I was a little sad because I love New Hope Church, and I was a little sad that all of New Hope Church could not go with the rest of us on this trip. So I thought today I would just take the rest of us on the trip with me. Is that okay? Yeah, is that cool? So here's what we did. In March, we went to Israel. We went to the Holy Land. And so I thought today for a little while, I would take you on the trip with us. So here was stop number one. We went to the Sea of Galilee. Check this out. This, we're on the boat right now. Can you feel it? 
Any water people? We're on the boat right now. We're on the Sea of Galilee. It's about sunset. It's beautiful. It's calm. It's not like last week when pastor was talking about uh, the disciples in the midst of the storm and Peter was getting out of the boat. Hey, by the way, speaking of last week, barefoot with Peter, y'all want to know how many shoes you gave away? How about a thousand pairs of shoes last week, New Hope? <laughs> yeah, that is flipping awesome. A thousand pairs of shoes across the movement are now going to be on the feet of people who need them more than us. I think that is amazing. That's incredible. Way to go, New Hope. Excellent job. Uh, but I digress. We were at the Sea of Galilee. That was um, an incredible experience as uh, we were just on the water. And by the way, not really a sea. It's more, it's more like a lake. It, it, it's not really that big. But to be there and, and to be able to see um, the Word of God come to life and to see the words of Jesus come to life. You know, as Jesus kind of said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You remember those words? And to actually be able to look at the city that Jesus was talking about, unbelievable. It was amazing. In fact, as we spent about three days there, it was easy to see why Jesus spent so much of his ministry in the Galilee region because uh, the place was just breathtaking. It was absolutely beautiful. Let's, let's go to the next stop, though. Uh, Caesarea, check this out. Now, what you're looking at here is what is known as the Gates of Hades. Now, here's the place where Peter would make the confession, you are the Christ. When, when Jesus said, who do you say I am? He said, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. And Jesus would say back to Peter, he said, it's on this rock that I will build my church and the Gates of Hades will not stand against it. Folks, this is literally what the Greeks believed were the gates of Hades. So to be able to stand there and recognize Jesus was so, he was so smart that as he, he would say those words, the, literally the Greek people that were around them that believed in Greek mythology, that those were the gates of Hades. He was recognizing that these were the people that he was speaking to. It was just one of those surreal moments. Check this out. This, this is the guy that was actually teaching us and showing us. This is our tour guide, Mishi. And uh, you, some of you have heard Pastor Benji talk about Mishi, the tour guide, before. Uh, we affectionately refer to him as Rabbi Mishi. Uh, Rabbi is another word for teacher. He was every bit our teacher on this trip. This guy is going to forget more about Jewish history and culture than you or I will ever no, he was a plethora of just knowledge. And every place we went, he would just teach us um, the, the depths of the, the, the culture and the history of the places that we would go. And I also discovered that he was not somebody to mess with. There was a time where we were at the, the, the Dead Sea region and we were at this place called Masada, which was this massive fortress on the top of a mountain. And uh, you had to take a cable car or you had to hike up the mountain to get there. And we decided to take the cable car, all right? 
And so before you could go on the cable car, you had to go through this informational um, place and you had to listen to a guided tour. And so Misha decided to go ahead of us and get our place in line while we went through this 30 minute informational dealio. And so while we're there, um, he's getting our place in line. And then we went to go meet Mishi. And so 40 of us uh, come in to get our place in line. Mishi's holding it for us. And so as 40 uh, of the New Hopers walk in, there's a group of about, I don't know, eight eight or 10 um, younger folks that are backpacking, they're hiking. And and they all of a sudden start to get upset as the 40 of us just kind of walk into the front of the line, by the way. And they, they start talking and then Mishi starts interacting with them and it gets a little bit heated and I'm kind of watching this thing go down, this exchange. And um, in the middle of this exchange, Rabbi Mishi um, asked the question, where are you from? Remember, we're, we're in Israel. We're, we're near Jerusalem. And he asked them, where are you from? And one of the young men says, Germany. And Mishi very calmly looks at him and says, you would do well to remember where you are. Mic drop. (laughs) That was it. Dude just kind of backed up and we went on our way. (laughs) Mishi is a bad man, all right? If you ever go to Israel, he's the guy you want. All right, uh, next place we went was actually the Dead Sea. Check this out. 1,300 feet below sea level, it is the lowest place on earth. So now you're with me at my lowest point. (laughs) Just want you to know that. Um, Next, one of my highest moments, we went to the Jordan River. Pastor Benji baptized me there, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. And this one's for the Garner campus. It's hard to see, but I've got my Garner Trojan t-shirt on underneath the white robe representing Garner in the house, all right? Here's the next one. I got two more to show you. We're at the garden tomb. Important note, there's nobody in there. Just want to, anybody excited about that? I think that's worth getting excited about. It's still empty, y'all. We traveled thousands of miles just to make sure, but it is still empty. Had an amazing time there. We actually had a communion service. It was powerful. Um, we, we had some private time there, and, uh, and God really met us there, um, but it was just absolutely incredible. Here's the next one that I'm going to show you is here's where I want us to spend a little bit of time this afternoon. Check this out. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. It overlooks the city of Jerusalem. And we're in the middle of the garden. This is where Jesus would be before he would be crucified. And you can see olive trees and it's, it's peaceful, it's serene. I just want you to take a moment and imagine the scene as if it was midnight. We were actually there early in the morning. Um, it was one of the most peaceful, tranquil places you could possibly imagine. And this is where we're gonna spend some time today. In fact, grab your teaching notes, grab your Bible, your phone, your tablet, however it is you access God's word. Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. And why don't we go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word today. Matthew 26, verse 36 through 46. And it begins with this. Then Jesus 
went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Verse 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now let me take a sidebar here for just a moment. One of the earliest memories that I have of being able to quote scripture, I was six years old. I grew up in a Christian home. We did devotions as a family almost weekly. We were at the dinner table. We had just prayed over the meal. My mom looked at me and she said, Derek, your eyes were not closed during the prayer. I looked at my mom and I said, Mama, because I had been taught to read the red. Those were important words. And I said, Jesus said, watch and pray. And then I ducked. <laughs> Let's go back and read scripture. <laughs> Watch him pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, but because their eyes were, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Welcome to Gethsemane. Now, believe it or not, all of us have been here before. Maybe not physically in this garden, but we've been to what this garden represents. I'll, I'll explain what I mean in a moment, but I, I want you to take a second to let this image sink in. I wanna ask you a question. Have you ever been stuck in a situation where you couldn't see things getting any better? Where you couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel? Were you so overwhelmed that you were consumed by what was taking place that you felt completely alone? Of course you have. 
See, it all looks different for us. We, we all have a story. My story took place when I was 17. I spent a little over a year chasing after everything that I thought was gonna bring me happiness, everything that I thought was gonna bring me peace, the things that I thought were gonna bring me fulfillment. I was completely and utterly alone. I was miserable and I was without hope. I had the benefit of growing up in a, a loving home with godly parents who loved each other and my brothers and I unconditionally, but I couldn't care less. It wasn't enough, or at least so I thought. And in June of 1993, I hit rock bottom. I was overwhelmed. I felt alone. I didn't know it, but I was in Gethsemane. Can anyone identify? I thought you could. So can Jesus. See, he's been there. And here's what's interesting. The word Gethsemane literally means oil or olive press. We're gonna unpack that a little bit later. But it literally means oil or olive press. But here's what you need to know for now. It was here that Jesus would have to press through the pain. He would have to press through the hurt and the betrayal and every other emotion that he was experiencing in order to fulfill the purpose of bringing hope into the world. It was here that he could have run, which is what you and I often feel like doing when the pain of our circumstances seems great, but he didn't. See, he could have run, but Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel clearly tell us that he went farther. You see, whether it's rejection or, or whether it's feeling hopeless, running from the pain won't fix it. Pretending to be fine when you're not, that won't fix it. Avoiding future relationships, that won't fix it. Staying busy, becoming successful, getting more stuff, that won't fix it either, folks. It's in those moments, those Gethsemane moments that we have to press. It's in those moments that we have to go farther. But where do we go? What do we press into? Better yet, who do we press into? I think Jesus actually gives us the answer in verse 39 where it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prays, my father. I wonder, have you ever looked at this passage of scripture and considered Jesus's options? See, he could have run. You know, he could have made a break for it. He could have headed for the hills, but instead he turns to his heavenly father. I want you to let that sink in because here he was, in the garden with his disciples, those who were closest to him, who were close by, yet scripture tells us he felt completely and utterly alone. He was alone in his understanding of the seriousness of the night. He was alone in his pain. He was alone in his assignment. Even Peter 
He even actually says to Peter, James, and John, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. See, it was at this point that he could have run, yet he actually understood what it meant to press through the events to the cross. Even though his humanity cried out, take this cup from me. By the way, just an interesting fact that I learned about the Garden of Gethsemane. It actually sits at the base of what was known to be an escape route from the city of Jerusalem just over the Mount of Olives. And this was fascinating to me as I was standing there in the garden with a group of about 40 new hopers because literally the city of Jerusalem is just over our shoulder. We're in and we're on the Mount of Olives and it's sitting at the base of what was known as an escape route. In fact, David used this escape route to flee from his son Absalom when he was trying to take the kingdom from him. Jesus would have known that. He could have run. But scripture tells us he turned to his father and he declared, yet not as I will, but as you will. Like what made him do that? Have you ever thought, have you ever asked the question, like what made him do that? There's the love that he has for you and I. There's the sense of purpose. There's the sense of mission. I think there was also something else, something that I think is missing in today's culture. There's a word that we use to describe it. That word is called grit. I think there was an element of grit that was just involved in that moment. This past week, the staff got together for a couple of days and we've been planning out um, the, the season ahead here at New Hope Church. And one of our staff members, Jesse Henning, uh, was leading a devotion for the staff and he talked about grit. And, and here's how Jesse defined it for the staff. And I love this. He called grit, great resolve in turmoil. You might want to write that in your notes because that's good. Great resolve in turmoil. It's grit. And it's something I think our culture needs more of today. Because far too often when we get to that place called Gethsemane in our lives where we could run or where we could press in, I think far too often People choose to run instead of getting some grit, digging their heels in, stiffening their spine, squaring their shoulders up, and going after what God has called us to go after. Oh, come on. I think there's more amen in you than that. Look, I was a student pastor for 14 years. And I probably should not get on my soapbox, but I think I will. I think I'm in a safe place. And I encountered a lot of parents over the years. I encountered a lot of people that would say, man, Pastor Derek, I wouldn't want your job. And I would say, why? And they'd say, dealing with those teenagers? Man, that's tough. I'm like, what's wrong with the teenagers? I love teenagers. And they're like, dealing with all those attitudes? I'd be like, what are you talking about? The kids are easy. Mom and dad, they're the tough ones. And I'm going to tell you something. We live in a culture where we got a lot of moms and dads 
whose goal for their children is for them to be happy. Moms and dads, if your goal is for your kids to be happy, you're setting them up for failure. I got three kids of my own, and I'm gonna tell you something. My goal is not for my children to be happy. I hope that in life they will find happiness. But my goal for my children is for them to be able to step out into the world, have a relationship with Jesus, number one, and to be able to handle what the world throws at them without them giving up in the process because things get too hard. You gotta have some grit. My mom and dad taught me this at an early age. Seventh grade, I went out for the wrestling team. Reason I did, I got cut from the basketball team. I know, shocker. But I went out for the wrestling team, and first day of practice, uh, coach had us do a drill. It's called merry-go-rounds. You, two people, you got a partner. One of you is on all fours, and the other one puts their chest on, on your back, and the coach blows the whistle, and you gotta go, you gotta go around. It's called merry-go-round. You gotta go around on their back as fast as you can until the coach blows the whistle. And then you gotta change directions and go the other way until the coach blows the whistle again. And then you gotta go back around the other time until the coach blows the whistle twice. And then you can stop. It's a very sadistic game that the coach plays. And so you go and you go and you go until the coach gets tired. Not until you get tired, until the coach gets tired. And so we're doing merry-go-rounds and I'm on the bottom and, I, and my partner's on top and he's going round and round. And the guy in front of me, his name is Alphonse Loper. To this day, I will never forget his name. And he's got a size 13 shoe. I'll never forget that either and I'll tell you why. Because when he was going around, that size 13 shoe clocked me right here in the jaw. And I went back about five feet. And about five minutes later, I came to. And I found a bunch of people just looking over me. And, and, and I'm a little dizzy and I'm coming to. And so finally, when I, when I came to, I got up and I walked across the field house and I grabbed my bag and I walked right out the door. <laughs> and I walked right up to the community center and I got on a payphone and I see some students looking at me like, what's a payphone? <laughs> anyway, and I called my mom and dad collect because I didn't have a quarter. And I said, come get me. And my dad said, is practice over? And I said, it is for me. <laughs> and so they came to pick me up and they parked the car, which was sign number one, something wasn't right. And they got out of the car and they met me in the parking lot. That was sign number two. And my dad said, you're going back down to the field house. And I said, why? And he said, you're gonna, tell the, you're gonna go to the coach and you're gonna tell him you're sorry. And you're gonna ask him to let you back on the team. And I'm like, Why? And he said, because if you quit this, you'll quit everything you ever start. My father was teaching me about grit. And he was teaching me not to quit things in life. A lesson that I have learned to this day at almost 44 years old. Folks, we gotta teach our kids that adversity is okay. And not to go in and rescue them every time things don't go their way. It's in those Gethsemane moments that if we really believe that God is bigger than our hurt or anything the world throws at us and that we can trust him, we would not run, but we would turn towards the Father by saying, yet not what I will, but what you 
will. Well, I know what we think. We think, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've experienced. Really? Look, Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was mocked. He was abandoned. He was targeted. He was rejected. All of those were facts from his past. But folks, they were not the destiny of his future. His pain in the garden, that became the power in the tomb. He rose and so can we. If we're willing to go farther, if we're willing to press through the pain and turn to the Father. By the way, I mentioned that in the garden, there's still olive trees. You saw it in the pictures that I showed you. They're still as far as the eye can see. I don't think it's happenstance that the olive tree was there in that moment of deep sorrow for Jesus the night before he would be betrayed, he would be tried, and he would go to the cross. I think it's fascinating that you can still see that today. In fact, I believe it was more than just a backdrop for Jesus. Let me explain what I mean, because the significance of the olive tree in Jesus' Gethsemane moment and ours can't be understated. As I researched the process that olives go through in order to extract their true value, which is the oil, I was blown away to discover the following. Olives have to be crushed in order to extract the oil. That's where they get their value. So here's what I want you to see. First, the crushing times are necessary. You'll find that in your notes. The crushing times are necessary. Did you know that in order to be fruitful, the olive tree needs both the east and the west winds? Now, the east wind is hot, it's dry, it comes from the desert. This is a harsh wind. Now, when I was in Israel in March, we didn't really experience this. We were actually there at what I'm understanding now is the perfect time to go to Israel. Things were actually green, they were lush. We were actually experiencing the rainy season. Um, we didn't really um, encounter the east harsh dry wind that is typical over in that area. But when you're, most of the time when you're there, that's what you encounter. But that's what comes from the east over in that region. You've also got the west wind. This comes from the Mediterranean. This is the one that is cool. It brings rain. It brings life. The olive tree needs both of these winds to be able to produce fruit. The truth is, so do we. This is where you and I open God's word and we begin to receive both encouragement and correction from it. This is where you open up Psalms and you begin to receive refreshing from God's word. This is when you begin to open God's word and you also begin to receive correction and rebuke from it. And you acknowledge the areas in your life that can be harmful to you. This is where you go to the Lord in prayer and you ask your heavenly father to examine your heart for those things that might be unhealthy. This is the time for you to get that checkup that you've been avoiding like when I had to go get my 40-year-old checkup that I was a year late for. I had like three things happen to me at that checkup, two of which I won't talk about because I still have PTSD from. <laughs> One, I don't mind sharing, but my doctor told me I was overweight. And I said, hey, doc, I'm not overweight. I'm just under tall. <laughs> and, 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 
And he looked at me and he said, he said, actually, you're overweight and you're under tall. And he said, one we can't fix, the other we can do something about. And, and I mean, the truth is, you know, when you're five foot five and 230 pounds, you, that's not good. You can be six five and 230 and that's okay. But five five and 230, that's not good. So he's like, we gotta fix that, all right? It was not a pleasant experience, folks. But you gotta do it, right? It's necessary. It's the same that's true for you and I, spiritually. There, there comes a point in time where you, you have to go to the Lord and you have to say, I need you to examine my life. I need you to show me those things that aren't pleasing to you. I need you to show me the areas that I've got to work on. And it's even in those times that God will show you things that are pleasing in his sight. It's both, it's a both and. The east and the west wins. The crushing times are necessary. We've got to go through it. Second, the crushing times are a processing time. They're a processing time. Now, I don't know if you knew this, I didn't know this, but I, I discovered that the olives that come off an olive tree are naturally bitter. I didn't know this because I don't like salads. That means I don't like anything that comes on a salad, which means I don't like olives. I'm, I'm not like Pastor Benji who goes to fancy schmancy weddings and has an olive story that he shares with people. I don't like those things. I'm a carnivore, I'm a meat eater. So that's what I do. But I discovered that olives are bitter, all right? So that's news to me. But they are, they come off a tree, they're bitter. But in order to be useful and edible, apparently, they go through a very lengthy process, which includes washing, breaking, soaking, sometimes salting. Here's our favorite part, folks. Waiting. Yeah, it's a lengthy process, but it's necessary. See, if you and I are to escape the natural bitterness of the human heart in our most difficult moments, We've got to go through the long process as well. See, we've got to be willing to go farther and we've got to be willing to press through. See, this is where if you'll allow him, God begins to strip away the things that are holding you and I back. Those, those are the areas of our life that keep you from experiencing the full measure of his blessing the attitudes, the addictions, the habits, the sin. This is the place where you and I begin to make changes. You can't rush this process. If you don't wanna be bitter, this is where you have an opportunity to become better if you will allow God to develop you. Third, the crushing times are preservation times. The crushing times are preservation times. See, in order to preserve an olive for usefulness, it's gotta be crushed to extract the oil that makes it so valuable. The same's true for us. And the biblical way to be preserved is to be pressed. Remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse eight? says we are pressed, but not crushed. Here's what it actually says. It says we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. 
persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. You see, crushing is not the olive's end. It's actually a way for preservation. It's a way to bring out what's most valuable, which is the oil. And the truth is, you and I need this reminder when we find ourselves in Gethsemane. We need to not forget that both the winds of sorrow and relief are necessary if we're going to produce anything of substance. We need to remember that for the sake of getting rid of bitterness when we're being processed, that's what it's for. And it's for the sake of preservation when you and I are being crushed. See, when we come to Gethsemane, there's a human side of us that just simply wants to run. It's real, folks. But because Jesus has already been there and he can relate, he's shown us how to go farther, how to press through. Why? Because on the other, hard, on the other side of hardships, there's a resurrection. It was true for Jesus, it's true for the olive tree, and it's true for us. Because here's the deal. We're not gonna come to Gethsemane just one time in our life. We're gonna come time and time and time again. It's the reality of life. And when we come to Gethsemane, we're gonna have the same choice over and over and over again. Are we gonna run? Or are we gonna press through the hurt and the pain? Are we gonna turn to the Father and say, not my will, but your will be done in my life? I was reminded of this just a little over a month ago. And I was on a trip with my youngest daughter, Delaney. And I don't know why, um, but there have been a couple of times in my life that God has used my daughter, uh, Delaney, to remind me of the important things. And um, he reminded me of that Gethsemane moment when I was 17 that I shared with you earlier in the message. And we were on a trip to my hometown of Montgomery, Alabama. My older brother and his wife had just had their first child uh, at 46 years old, just had his first child. Y'all pray for him. Um, but uh, her name's Mia, she's beautiful. And uh, my daughter Delaney and I did a really, really quick trip, about 24 hours down to Montgomery, just to be able to meet her. She was in uh, NICU for just a little while, we had some time to kill. In fact, Here's a quick picture of my daughter and I on that trip. Just check this out. Um, yeah, <clears throat> we had some time to kill, so I decided to show her where dad grew up. And so I took her around to see the old house I grew up in, uh, my elementary school, junior high school, high school, just all those places. And while we're going around and I'm showing her just all of these memories, um, there were some really good memories that came flooding in. There were also some really bad memories that came flooding in. Um, moments that I wasn't proud of. And I, I didn't share those with her in that moment, but they started to come back. And as they were coming back, we ended up at the church that I had grown up in. And uh, the pastor that's there now was uh, also the pastor that was there um, when, when I was growing up. And he wasn't there that day, but we rang the bell. His assistant was there and she remembered my family. She remembered me. I didn't remember her, but she remembered who we were. And she let us in and she, she let us kind of tour the facility. And we ended up uh, in a part of the, the church campus where that Gethsemane moment 
happened for me. The office where my student pastor and I um, where I had the, the opportunity to either run or to press in and say, not my will, but your will. And I got down on my knees and I asked Christ to come into my heart and I surrendered my life to him. And it was in that moment as I had been showing my daughter where her dad grew up and I had been wrestling with just things that I wasn't proud of that God reminded me that he had been there every step of the way and had been redeeming. He redeemed my life then and he'd been redeeming my life every moment along the way and that he had helped me from that moment and every Gethsemane moment following. See, folks, that's what happens when you press in. God will meet you every step of the way. And so if you're here today and you're at that place, you're at that Gethsemane moment and you're trying to figure out what to do, I just wanna give you an opportunity to respond. The worship teams are gonna come out at our campuses. And we're gonna sing a song that we sing a lot around here at New Hope called Reckless Love. And I can't think of a more appropriate song for us to respond to because it reminds us that in those moments where we feel the tension and we feel the struggle that we have a heavenly father that chases after us. If we'll press in, he'll press in even more. And he's already doing so. He'll prepare you not only for this Gethsemane moment, but every moment to follow. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, cannot thank you enough for your grace in our lives. Father, we wrestle with so many things. We, we struggle and we fight And oftentimes we're not sure which direction we're supposed to go. The path of least resistance often seems like the best course of action. But Father, what we need is your strength. We need your hand. We need your arms surrounding us. And we need your encouragement in our lives to know that you're with us every step of the way. Give us the tenacity. God, give us the grit. God, help us to love the way that your son Jesus has loved us. 
And God, I pray that in those moments when we don't feel up to the task, Father, we would be able to put one foot in front of the other and go farther. We would continue to step towards you knowing that you're already there with your arms open wide and that you've been chasing after us the entire time. God, we run to you and we say not our will, but your will be done. In the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit, amen.